The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Father Joseph Sund. Hi, Father. Greetings. And Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Dom. Uh, Before we get into things, I want to tell you about a show that you are sure to enjoy, another show on the StarQuest Network called... I, don't, I can't believe if you haven't even heard of this yet. You, maybe you haven't, though. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, super big hit. Lots of people listening to this every week. It is a lot of fun. You should check it out. It's at sqpn.com slash mysterious or wherever fine podcasts are found. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. So we do a listener feedback from a previous episode. We talked recently in episode 164, talked about uh, some different apps. And one of the apps that was mentioned was Fairmail. For Android, and the listener who had recommended that, uh, Ecto Mario from our Discord community at sqpn.com/discord, uh, said uh, had some follow up on. It. He said about ten days after I recommended fair mail, fair email for Android, and eight days after it was mentioned in Tech One Sixty Four, uh, episode one sixty four, it was pulled from Google Play. I didn't notice this until an article in my feed mentioned that it was slated to return. I can still see the listing on Play on the device where it's installed. It looks like there was a cryptic message from Google over a deficiency in the app's privacy policy. It wasn't until the author was able to speak with an actual human being at Google that he, the specific problem was understood uh, and presumably fixed. And so it's it's back on there. So there wasn't an actual problem with the app. So if you went to go download it and it wasn't there, you can go check it out again and uh, it should be good. It's it's an open source email app. And that was what uh, what, what the why it was being recommended. Often when Google does remove apps from their app store, um, if you've already installed it, you're still going to have access to download it. Um, Unless there's a serious violation, then they may cut it altogether. But if you've already previously downloaded it, it should still list up in your app store, even when they remove it from purchase. Yeah, same thing with the uh, iOS app store. So, yeah. All right. So thank you, Ecto Mario, for that follow up. Very helpful. And uh, so let's get to our main topic tonight, uh, which is we're talking about building your own PC. Uh, that's right. For many, many years, people have been building their own home computers. Uh, and it's for a long time, I think it was actually kind of a bit of um, a black art, so we say. Uh, <laughs> it was only for the most brave to quest out into that uh, those hinterlands. But these days, it's a lot more plug and play. As we were talking about before we started recording, it's like very expensive Legos. I mean, it's a little more complicated than that because there's electricity th- flowing through these Legos that has to actually uh, work. But in general, it's a lot It's a lot easier than it used to be. There's plenty of websites to help you figure out how to do it. And so we're going to talk a bit tonight about what, why you would want to do this, how you would go about doing this, and who's for. Uh, now, if you're a Mac user, you could build a Hackintosh. That's a whole nother discussion that we've already had with Father Corey Stika in a previous episode. In fact, I should, uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, the uh, the link to our Hackintosh episode. But in general, we're going to be talking to people who want to build a PC 
for either Windows or Linux. Uh, that That's really where we are uh, with this episode. So I'm going to throw out to you guys first. The question is, because I'm not a PC guy, so you guys are PC Linux guys. So I'm going to throw it out to you, and you both built computers. So why would I want to build a PC? Why not just go buy a Dell or a, a gateway, I'm just kidding, or some other, some <laughs> other brand, an Acer or something like that, some off-the-shelf mm-hmm. brand. They've done all the work for me. Why would I want to go out and buy all the bits and pieces and put it together myself? Well, I, I think in some cases it is. it does make a lot of sense to go out and go to Best Buy or wherever and buy a, a Lenovo or a Dell. Uh, laptops in particular um, make, make a lot of sense. Um, but once you start using a computer for more than just basic, you know, word processing or surfing the web, um, you're going to find that a lot of the builds that you can buy in a store or that you can order, um, you know, they, they miss the mark uh, in one or more areas, you know, like they don't offer the right combination of storage or I want this processor with this Ram and an SSD, but nobody really offers that at a good price. And once you start um, running into those kinds of limitations, you start thinking, well, you know, I could just build my own PC that would kind of check all the boxes for me. And uh, down that rabbit hole, you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> S- similar was what I was going to say. I recently built a computer that is used just for controlling our doors security system in the school. Um, and that computer needed very particular things for high network bandwidth um, and just to be fast. But it didn't need um, the extreme graphics card that all the computers on the market with those other features would automatically have. Right. So if I were to build a computer, if I were to buy a computer that had the specs that I needed, it would have cost me a couple grand. Right. Right. Because they were throwing those extra parts in there because they are assuming that I want it as a high-end gaming machine. Right. So What I need the particular use of, I didn't need that. So I was able to build what I needed for six, $700 instead of two grand. So tailor it to your particular needs. Exactly. Exactly. Any other reasons? I mean, a cost? uh, Is it it generally cheaper? Not... Not always. <laughs> there, there are economies of scale with like a Dell or, or an HP. But um, once you start getting into, you know, more high end graphics cards and processors, then that that economy of scale is basically wiped out just because the components themselves are so expensive. I think the the main reason for me was so that I could say that I'd done it. I wanted to, to learn something new and um, I like plugging things in and, and making things work and, and building things and learning, like proving to myself that I can do new things. And building a PC was uh, was one of those things. And having, uh, you know, techie kids as well, it was kind of a good experience uh, for me to show them, you know, this is all the stuff that goes into a PC. Well, you know, when you hit when you hit the button, it's not a magic box. It's all these different components all working together. It's kind of like when my, when you know our dads, especially in the, back in the day, would teach us about how a car works. You know, this is like you could look at a car's engine and you could pretty much figure it out. You didn't have to have a computer science degree as you do now. Like you know, now you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and, but back then, it was you could get your hands into it and you you look at it and you and and when you understand how a car works, you become a better driver. And I think it's the same way with the computer. When you understand what's 
what goes on inside the box, I think you become a better computer user. You understand sometimes why it's doing this thing that you don't want it to do, for example. Mm -hmm. And Dom, you're hitting on the um, other point I wanted to make is that when I build my own computer, when it's end of life comes, um, it's not as expensive for me to resurrect it, right? Uh Because I know what I'm doing with my own computer. I'm the one who built it. Um, I'm the one who made it. And instead of replacing the whole thing, I can do a couple pieces. Um, right. And right. so that in the long run might save money. Um, I'd have to go and um, do my budget and find out if I actually saved money <laughs> by doing that or not. But Yeah, I mean, like the, you could still have like a hard drive that's still good and a, and a power supply that's sufficiently speedy and a decent graphic card, but you need a new motherboard and, and CPU. We'll get into all those components in a bit, yep. folks, but yep. um, yeah. just on that part. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could see, like, I just, I don't need to go out and buy a whole new box full of stuff. I could just buy a couple components and and keep this thing going for a few more years, and it's almost like having a new computer. Exactly, and that's the the current PC I use for a lot of audio production I need. I wanted to get back into audio production. I needed a faster PC. Uh, looked at what it would cost to build one, but a few years prior, I had built this uh, kind of retro gaming PC, and I wasn't doing a lot of retro gaming. So I said, "Well, with a new CPU, a new motherboard, some RAM, and a solid state drive, I can have this, you know, fully specced audio, you know, editing and and production PC that I want, and you know, it cost me one third of what a new one would have, um, and I can still do my retro gaming if I really wanted yeah. to, I suppose." Mm-hmm. And there's also like a whole um, um, niche market of PC building that they use what they call sleeper PCs. Um, and what you do is you take the really old case. So let's say I take a Packard Bell case from the mid 90s <laughs> and I throw top of the line gear in it. And so you have this case that says it's a, you know, a Pentium one machine from 1993. And it's just running laps around everything and that's actually a very common thing people do that's funny yeah i'm sure there's a whole bunch of niches in this area so do i have to build a desktop are there build your own laptops can you build a a laptop from components i wouldn't (laughs) looking at your faces as i ask that question i can see that it's probably not a good idea people have built you know raspberry pi laptops (laughs) um I, I and it's really more of I think an experiment uh, to say you you can right. do it. I think um, you know a lot of once you take apart and I would recommend everybody if you have a laptop that's not working and you're sure it's not working, one of the best things you can do is just take it apart because it's mm-hmm. really interesting what's what's inside of a laptop. But everything is kind of all on one board. There's not a lot of modularity and um, with building your C- PC, you're really taking advantage of that modularity and and that is you know that. You can you have a lot of optionality when it comes to the different components that go into it. Everything just kind of goes together but with a laptop because they are optimizing it for low power usage and small form factor. They tend to uh, squish everything down onto one board and you lose a lot of the advantages of. And even so- even solder things in. And so um, you hit on one of the other advantages of building your own computer is that repairability factor. Right. Um, Some of these newer small form computers that aren't even laptops that I buy, if I'm buying all in one PC or I'm buying a small form factor, um, they might be built in a way that you can't even repair it, that it's meant to go to the dump after it's 
Right. One right. part's gone bad. Like phones, basically. I mean, you, yeah, yeah. apart from the screen, you pretty much, they, you, you don't repair a phone. You, you get it swapped out and, you know, a warranty replacement or just buy a new one. But Apple said that I can repair my phone now. Well, you, you can. They still send you 75 <laughs> pounds of tools and it's just more than you could do before. But that's a whole nother episode. So is it hard to build your own PC? Do, do you have to be a techie nerd geek to with with the CS credentials to, to do it or can anybody do it? You have to be willing to do your own research mm-hmm. and you have to be willing to roll up your sleeves and have a high tolerance for frustration if things don't really work the first time and you have to accept that you know if things don't work the first time you're going to be spending a couple hours on on google to to figure things out yes it's it's rare but you know those things happen you don't need to be a techie um but the main issue is just making sure that all the parts you want to use are going to play nice together and we'll talk about this but fortunately there are very helpful tools on the internet that uh that make that part uh pretty easy right Several years back, or several years, several months back, um, with my junior high kids um, in Atkinson, Nebraska, give them a little shout out there. Um, we built a computer for the parish secretary. She needed a new computer, and I thought this was a good STEM opportunity. Um, I did a lot of hand holding and a lot of the work, but um, let them put the screws in and push the RAM in and socket the cpu and all that stuff as we built um and so hopefully that opened a little bit of the um taste for the junior high kids or a couple of them to um see how that it's possible um and so i think i think there's one or two of those kids that if they put their mind to it um and open their youtube accounts for a while they would be able to do it just fine themselves yeah i would i would definitely say that if you're the sort of person that can like repair your dishwasher by following a YouTube tutorial or, you know, anything by following a YouTube tutorial, there are ample tutorials out there, you know, half hour videos about how to build a PC and you just follow one of those the first few times and, and you'll be okay. Um, You mentioned socketing the CPU and that's where you take this, this chip that costs anywhere from, well, it used to be $200, but now it's probably like five or $600 with, uh, you know, thousands of little tiny pins on it. And then you push it down into the motherboard and flip a lever, which basically smushes it down into the motherboard. And if any of those pins, (laughs) yeah. And if any of those pins get bent or aren't seated properly, or if you have it in the wrong way, which fortunately they don't really let you, you do that. You're, you're basically have just destroyed your $500 chip. And, and you know, the, the saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. There are no atheists when it comes to to socketing a, a CPU, it just—it's <laughs> always the most nerve-wracking uh, uh, part of the build. But you know, I've never, knock on wood, you know, wrecked one yet. Um, give a give a little more faith that you might be able to do it. A couple months back, my parents' computer that I built for my dad um, was having some problems. The video card went bad. Luckily, the um, computer also has an integrated video um, to the motherboard. And so I did a talking instruction to my mother from 300 miles away on taking the computer apart, pulling out the old video card, resetting the BIOS and getting the computer running again. And 
um, she did a great job and it was running. Um, and so. many years off purgatory for you, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, talk about <laughs> patience. That's why, that's why you're the priest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, the funny thing is of the person in that phone call conversation, she was the one that didn't um, study any computer science. My dad and I both had. But <laughs> that's funny. She was the one with the steadiest hand on the phone call. So, <laughs> so. What kinds of what do, what do you need to to do this? Like besides the components, what what would you need uh, to 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 be able to get started on this sort of thing? Uh, really, it's just a, a workbench and um, you know a large enough surface where you can lay everything out and and have room to work, and then um, you know a good uh, or even a cheap um, you know screwdriver or precision driver set. Most stuff is just you know small Phillips screws. Um, a lot of the motherboards and cases and components come with all the cables and screws you need. But, you know, occasionally you'll, you'll still be placing like a, a rush Amazon order or, or, you know, trying to find a computer store to get one more hard drive cable or something or one with a right you know angle connector that bends a certain way or something. But, um, you know, it's it, not not a lot, just just the components, uh, a good tutorial on, on YouTube to walk you through it. And um, I think we'll talk about it. But PC part picker dot com is is your best friend when it comes to uh picking components and making sure that they're compatible and yeah patience yeah and in about how long like let's assume we don't assume uh with pie in the sky that you don't have uh things that were send you out to best buy or have to go look on google for two hours but just the the is uh, assume everything goes right and the assembly goes as, as planned how long do you think it would take to put together a, a typical pc build a couple hours Days? A couple hours. Yeah. A couple hours, I would say. For okay. for your first build, probably a couple hours. Um, I'm probably to the point now that I can do one in 45 minutes. But Okay, okay. That's Now, there's a, a YouTube channel, Speed PC Building uh, Races. That, that sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> no, no, because then when because they, they speed race it together and then you see if it explodes, you know, smoke comes out of it when they turn it on. I tell you, this is a this is a million dollar idea. Someone, uh, in fact, is probably already a channel. Let's just put it that way. I'm, I know. Just, um, I know that Linus Tech Tips had um, scrapyard wars at one oh, point nice. where they would um, go into flea markets and thrift stores and buy old parts or buy old parts off eBay too. And they would throw together computers out of them. Um, nice. I think he stopped doing that once the um, used PC market became more expensive than the new PC market. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. So we talked a little bit about the advantages of building your own PC. So we, we talked about, you know, yep. building it to your exact specifications. Um, you, another thing that is an advantage is, you pick the parts as opposed to, you know, Dell sourcing from the lowest bidder or whatever. You know exactly what you're getting and you can get name brand, you know, the exact name brand piece that you want uh, for your PC and kind of get a better assurance. That was a big, a big thing for me as I started when my son wanted a gaming PC and we were talking about how he could, you know, get that. I started looking at these, you know, high end, not, well, not even high end, but, you know, reasonable end gaming PCs, you know, the custom build your PC and then you start reading reviews and it's like, yeah, you know, they used re reused parts or, you mm -hmm. know, that sort of thing. And, you know, it, it, it was enough to make me think, gosh, you know, I, I really want control. I want to make sure I'm using, you know, new parts. You know, I want to make sure I have, 
you know, some control over, you know, the quality of, of, of what's going into it as well. So um, that was a big thing for me too. And what components will I need to build a PC? Well, like what, what is it I'm going to need to buy when I'm out there? So I, I mean, we talked about a CPU, but that's not a whole computer. What else is, what else is on the, on the menu? Yeah. Let's start with the base. Um, you need a case to put it in, right? Right. Um, and I mentioned that you might have a case um, laying around, but you have to be careful because there's um, specific form factors is what they call of the case. Um, so those um, motherboards are sized on certain sizes in um, your, as we talked about PC part picker, that's going to help you out a lot. So if you want to start with your form factor that you want to have the size of your computer, then I would choose your case first. Um, because then it's going to help you to make sure that you get the right size of everything fitting. Um, right. If I'm more worried about power and things that I want to look at my CPU first and then choose the motherboard and then choose. So it's, um, I would really say what I'm looking at first depends on what my priorities are. Okay. So we need a case. What else do we need? Yeah, and things you might not even think of, like a power supply. You might think, you know, what's going to supply power to my computer? And it's not just as simple as plugging in a power cord. You know, every component in your computer, from the motherboard to the to the video card to the fans, and we'll talk about fans because you need those. These things get very hot, and and uh, but you know the 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 disc drives all need to be powered, and so you need a, a power supply that's uh, what they call modular, so that um, you know, the different units and stuff are semi-modular so that it, it can provide, you know, separate power cables to all these different components within the within the PC. And, you know, so it can turn into a rat's nest in, the, if, in there if you're not careful. So, uh, you know, cable ties and stuff help with that, too. But, you know, power and things you don't think of, like power supplies, fans, uh, a cooler to put right on your CPU to, to channel heat away from um, your CPU. Um, and these these things do add up quick. So. You might look at a CPU in a case and say, I can build a PC, but um, you have to be careful because uh, uh, it does add up. And some components are expensive. More so now, yeah. To go back to your power supply vein, um, when I'm worried about expense, um, the one area to not cut your expense on is your power supply. Right. Um, because if you're going to cut your expense on your power supply and then you have expensive parts behind that a cheap power supply can ruin an entire computer you've built your house on sand essentially yes exactly (laughs) and so you want to make sure that you're buying a well-reviewed and high quality power supply that that and you're not going to drive that power supply right to the edge of its capacity and running it hot all the time because that will lessen its lifespan. So you want a power supply that can supply more power than you expect right at the beginning. And also to give you some room to expand so that when you want to upgrade a CPU or a graphics card later, you don't have to replace the power supply at the same time. So you want to make sure that you get a power supply that's got some headroom in a sense. Right. Like um, go back to our car analogy here. I'm not going to buy a Geo Metro to be towing stuff, (laughs) right? And so if I know I'm going to be towing stuff with my computer, I need to give the horsepower behind it to be able to run. And so to be able to do that and to plan for the highest use scenario, 
Um, so that one time that I have to live stream video or whatever it might be, um, I have the power to do it and I'm not running my computer to the edge. And then uh, other things, we, I don't, I think we might've mentioned memory or RAM and then storage, your, the drives. And usually you get more than one drive. You'll have a, a drive that's a smaller drive. That's just the operating system. And then a media drive that holds all your big files and stuff. And uh, you usually get SSDs these days. Yep. Spinning drives are kind of out. Yep. And because SSDs are cheap enough that they really are worthwhile. And they're super fast. I still use um, hard drives for a lot of bigger files um, to keep a larger, like a two terabyte drive. Um, yep. And so I still do have a hard drive in my computer. Um, you have to remember, though, that a hard drive um, is going to be slower and also is going to produce more heat than and noise and, and noise yeah. than your um, solid state drives and so um the upside of a hard drive though is that and they really haven't had time to test this out yet it's believed to still have a longer shelf life than the hmm. solid state ones but right, they haven't they haven't been a solid state haven't really been around long enough yeah. to prove us wrong on that one though a couple more decades and, and if I had an older PC you know that even one that I had bought at Best Buy or you know wherever I'd gotten it from and you know, I was looking at one upgrade I could give to it that would really speed mm-hmm. things up. I would probably clone. Uh, there's various software that you can use to clone drives. I would clone the drive that's in there if it's an old, you know, mechanical spinny, spinny uh, hard drive. Clone that to a solid state drive. Put the solid state drive in that computer and you will notice that it boots up in seconds yep. instead of, you know, You're minutes. explaining what the um, joke I have with my principal in the high school for a while was was um, the $50 fix um, and that I would buy a solid state hard drive and maybe four gigabytes more of RAM, throw it in the teacher's computer, and they thought they got a new computer. Um, <laughs> and I saved myself $1,000 every single time, right? <laughs> and so that it works wonders. <laughs> so let's let's talk about the, uh, buying the parts, and we, we've mentioned this a few times, but there's a website you ought to know if you're going to build your, your own PC. It's called PCPartsPicker.com, and it's a wonderful site because one thing you can do is you can go there, and they have ready-made lists. Like if you want to build a gaming machine, if you just want to build an uh, office productivity machine, a cheap one, a middle-grade one, a really expensive one, and they have all these different lists. And when you look at the list, it have all these different parts, and you know they've gone done the work. All these parts work together. So if you just bought that list, you'd have a PC yep. that the, the parts yep. work together. Or you can go through and you can start with one of their lists and replace parts. And it will tell you, you can, you can have it you know, tell you, if I replace it with this, does this part work with it? Yes, it does. Oh, nice. Or you can start from scratch and just and select parts. And again, it will tell you whether the parts work. Now, how do they make their money is... They're an Amazon affiliate and they're going to recommend that you they're going to have links to Amazon for you to buy all your parts, which may not be the cheapest thing for you. But you could always look them up elsewhere and you don't have to buy it through them. But if you do buy it through them, they get a little bit kickback on it. And I think unless they've changed things, they they used to have like basically like whatever cheapest they had a, a set of preferred vendors and it was like Newegg and 
Tiger Direct or whatever, and they would yeah. have a, a list of, of vendors in there and, and usually the cheapest one. But then you have to watch out because some of those are rebates. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's always fun to start with one of their base builds and then say, well, I don't need, you know, this much RAM or I need bigger hard drive and, um, you know, start start from there. They've gotten better with the rebate thing. They do um, separate the rebate out now and they don't include it on your original price, and then they actually separate it out, and there's a little tag item that says um, rebate deduction final price. So it actually does um, put some clarity to that. Um, One other fun thing about the website is you have both build guides and then you have completed builds. And completed builds is kind of like a social media thing of um, People people posting pictures of their builds. Um, yeah. And this is a really fun thing if you're nerdy to go through and see other people's. Yeah. Don't let these discourage you, though, because these are going to be, you know, they're going to look really a lot of them are going to look really wild or like, wow, I, like, I don't need all that or that looks so hard. Don't let these are people who showing off their hot rods. OK, yeah. if, <laughs> if you need if you need a, a, a commuter car. You could build a commuter car. These are hot rods that people have built in many cases. In some cases, yeah. it's people. Uh, this I, 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 I'm building the cheapest PC I could possibly build that does a good job. There's a few of those in there. So it's just it's just, you know, but don't be discouraged by seeing the, uh, the awesome things. Yeah. people build. I'm looking at their lowest priced um, build guide is at four hundred sixty two dollars, which is pretty darn good i went through and i rebuilt the computer i built for my dad like four years ago on here and it's about the same it's about four hundred dollars altogether that's without the windows license right right that always hurts is is when you price out all these components and then you're like i still need to spend a hundred bucks or 130 bucks on windows Mm -hmm. but i mean it's it's you know you have to factor that in important thing to remember is if you have a trashed Windows 7 or higher computer laying around that still has a tag with the product key on the back of it, and you're going to dispose of that computer and no one's ever going to use it again, you do have the right to be able to use that um, product oh, really? key. And so they'll, you'll, you can enter that in as your product key and it will activate it onto... And then upgrade it from there. Mm-hmm. And yep. you're so... Um, actually, no, you can use a Windows 7 key to activate Windows 11 at this point. Oh, wow. And so you don't even have to do the upgrades. You can put the newest version of Windows, use the key. Um, there's supposed to be something, if it's on an old computer, that you're supposed to go through and deactivate the key. But if it's a trash computer, I would say just, you know. Hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I would do is when you... Um, recycle that computer, take a screwdriver or something and scratch out that key code that you just used so no one can use it again. Just like you should never post a picture of your key code online. <laughs> it's like it's like a credit card number. Like it's it's a it, this is a something you should regard as a state secret because yes. it, it would be bad for other people to get a hold of it. And you um, hit me to eBay when we're looking at People on eBay have a bad habit of putting the backs of their key codes online. Um, And when we're talking about PC parts, please stay far, far away from eBay. Oh, good point. Don't buy them from 
anyone but a reputable re- vendor because you have no idea where that part has been, whether it even works. Yeah, there's all kinds of badness that can happen from it, from that. Especially with the reality of crypto mining and resale um, in the yeah. world right now, mm-hmm. I would stay far away from anything on eBay when you're building a new computer build. Right. It's something a lot of people don't realize. Crypto miners people who are mining for cryptocurrency and that's a whole nother topic. Uh, but they use a lot of graphics cards to do this. There's a lot of GPUs and that's why the GPUs are so expensive right now because these guys have been buying them up in bulk and then burning them out, uh, running them as hot as they need to, and then just throwing them away or selling them on eBay uh, and replacing with a new one. So you, you don't want to get into any of that. Buy your parts new from a reputable vendor. Uh, there's so much more that can be said. Yeah. Uh, we're just scratching the surface and we'll surely come back and revisit this topic again. Uh, but I think that's enough to get people started. And again, the the website you want to look at is PCPartPicker.com. I think I said parts. It's part singular mm-hmm. PCPartPicker.com. We'll have links in the show notes, of course, and, and uh, to a few different things. But this is just the beginning. And uh, but if you if you do go out there and you know have some questions send them in we want to answer them for you we want to we'll have further discussions on this topic as we go along um but uh, this is this is a whole new world you've just taken your first step into a whole new world as obi-wan says one point on the gpus you can save some money right now if you don't need a high-end gaming pc um, you can use what's called an integrated graphics which means that you're um, CPU of your computers running your graphics as well. And so to make, when we go through PC part picker, there's a column that says that that has integrated graphics and you can choose that and just use the port on your motherboard to run your graphics and save yourself $400. Right. If you just need a regular desktop productivity machine, you're not mm-hmm. doing video or gaming, your video production or gaming. Yeah, definitely. All right. So uh, that's a great discussion and a great beginning of a discussion. And so we're going to move on. And I want to first, before we uh, head to our next part, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Chris N., Joseph B., Gail S., Brian W., and Dustin B. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Technology, and all the shows at StarQuest, you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Uh, and just an addendum that occurred to me uh, before we move on to our headlines. Uh, I would love to build a PC myself. I've never done it. I don't own a, P- a Windows machine or a Linux machine at this. Well, I actually have a Raspberry Pi. That doesn't count. I don't have a Windows P- machine right now, and I would love to. So before, maybe before the next time, we talk about this, I'll have done it, and I can talk a little bit about my, my experience as well, and that could be a, a follow-up to this. A Raspberry Pi does count as a computer, so if you do yes. want yes. to if you do want to dab your feet into building, mm-hmm. that might be a way to start yourself, too. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, there's not a whole lot of building that goes on, but yeah, I mean, it's... You, it's get, a, put it's a, a, you get to put a case in, you get to yes. put a heat sink <laughs> on, you get to... Well, you don't even have to do the heat sink. I mean, I just you just get a case and a, and a board and you put it in the case. But uh, we're actually going to have uh, this is a bit of a preview and I didn't plan on saying it. But uh, in a few weeks, we're going to have a, a Raspberry Pi expert on the show. Ooh. And uh, so uh, you're going to want to be sure to stay stay subscribed for that, because this is a 
friend of the friend of SQPN who is a well-known Raspberry Pi expert, and he's going to be joining us in you know, talking about some of the amazing, crazy projects he's done with Raspberry Pis. No spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. Wow, that's exciting. As Doctor Who, <laughs> as Doctor Who would tell us. Yes, yes. Spoilers, sweetie. Uh, so let's move on to our headlines. And uh, our first headline. I, I feel like we're we've always got a headline about some apps that have been spying on us. And well, the, the latest apps that have been spying on us uh, in CNN reports, virtual learning apps tracked and shared kids data and online activities with advertisers report says, uh, and the lead of the article is millions of students who participated in virtual learning during the COVID-19 pandemic had their personal data and online behaviors tracked by educational apps and websites without their consent, and in many cases, shared with third-party advertising technology companies, a new report from Human Rights Watch has found. So they they go through uh, some inform- a bunch of information, and they said that uh, 89% of the products reviewed across uh, 164 products in, in 49 countries engaged in data practices that, quote, risked or infringed on children's rights. Now, before we get too far into this, I just kind of want to point out, it says 89% of them shared data of some kind, but it doesn't, the article doesn't tell us how many shared an amount of data that we would be concerned about. Like if it, if it shares an IP address with, with the company, that's not necessarily concerning, if, especially if you are in, like use a cable company for your, your internet access, like most people here in the, in the U.S., because that's a pooled address and it doesn't really give give much information about you other than your general location within your state. Um, it's so uh, it's a it's a little bit of a of a of a clickbait headline, but there's still things to be concerned about here. Namely, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act of 2000, which strictly prohibits collecting any data of minors under the age of 13 without mm-hmm you know, even with their consent, but without their parents express consent. So, right. I mean, at, at, mo- at you know, at best, this is troubling and at, and at worst, you know, it's a gross violation of the law. They don't really get into that in this article. Yeah. The, the other thing that concerns me is that during the pandemic, a lot of these companies, the American ones especially, received large amounts of government subsidies. And so we were also funding those violations. Well, well, yeah, well, we, part of the profiteering, yeah. Yeah, but also we just weren't prepared for this. Like mm-hmm. we we decide we shut down the entire country uh, by necessity, or maybe not. Who knows? But you know, but in general, we shut down schools for a year and a half. Essentially, some schools opened up. I know, but in uh, but a lot of schools were shut down for at least a year, and without preparation and without the infrastructure or technology we saw you know churches had to go through this with the streaming masses and all that sort of stuff so and and so what we what we had was we had a lot of companies that kind of jumped up and so zoom was there but then we had a lot of companies that kind of jumped into the space and said i need to get my piece of the pie and weren't ready to do it the right way you know they they rushed in and they didn't have the proper foundation to do this and they weren't a educational company coming at it from an educational standpoint. If I'm a company that's dedicated to education, ideally my first thing of concern is going to be the safety and the well-being of children. And right. so if I have someone who's coming from it just to get their piece of the pie, 
they're not going to come through on that with the same motivation that an educational right. company would. Yeah. So I think, I think that, I mean, there's a little bit of a you know barn door situation here, but I think what parents and schools should be doing now is securing the space, double checking the companies that you're working with, going through and saying, what are your policies? Where, you know, are, is your data is the data you're collecting safe? Are, are you collecting data? Should you be collecting data? Are you sharing that data with anyone? Mm-hmm. They should certainly be doing a data security audit of any company that they're contracting with to provide computational educational services. Now, there's a big difference between collecting data and sharing data, right? right. That the child's using a device inside a school. Um, the school, by all responsibility, should be oh. collecting data. Yes. Right. And so we um, we can get into the avenue and some of these have hit the news lately of monitoring apps for Google Drive and email and stuff to help look out for suicidal tendencies, depression and whatnot in the children. Um, those are going to be collecting data and they're going to be collecting a large amount of data. Yeah. But that data is being used for a lot of good. And then who does that data go to? Is that data just going to the school personnel or is that data being sold? If the data is just going to the school personnel and being deleted, then I'm happy. Um, But if it's being shared with the world and for money, then maybe we got an ethical dilemma going on. It's not just about data being collected. It's about where the data goes. That's really the concern. So our next headline is about a California bill, a bill for the the California legislature. The would allow parents to sue social media companies for up to twenty five thousand dollars each if their children become addicted to the platforms. And uh, what what got me this is this report that they cite back in two thousand eighteen that there's no solid evidence that people get addicted to social media, and I'm like. Open your eyes. Who did you pay to come to that conclusion? Because frankly, I sometimes feel addicted to social media. I avoid things like TikTok and Instagram Reel because I have a hard time stopping scrolling an hour later. I'm like, where did my hour go? Because the thing is designed to be sticky, designed to get us to stay in it. And if it has that effect on adults, it's going to have that on kids. And anyone who has kids or works with kids knows how dangerously addictive mm-hmm. all this stuff is so I, I i in some ways i kind of applaud it because what this bill will do if it passes and and passes the legal challenges that are sure to follow is it will hold these companies accountable for their tactics like we saw in that documentary the social dilemma that are intended to make people addicted well will it i mean these companies have pretty strong legal teams I think they can they can get out of most of this. And I think there's a moral hazard here as well where, okay, I'm a parent. What steps am I taking to make sure yeah. my kid isn't becoming addicted to I social agree. media? And if my kid does become addicted to social media, well, there's a 25 grand, you know, payday in it for me. So I, I get, you know, wow, that's, I can, a, that's a pretty bad parent, yeah. I guess. But well, sure. I mean, yeah, there I are mean, bad parents. So there is yeah. there is. A, well, that's the moral hazard. It's it's it's, it's the hazard is. um I abdicate my my role in parenting my child and I'm compensated for it when something bad does happen. OK, that's a fair point. We can look to the late 80s, early 90s and um, Joe Cool with Camel. Right. This is kind of a similar refrain that's being sung on this is, is there marketing practices 
what's leading to the addiction, right? That they're marketing something to children that they know is addictive. I would push back a little on that in that it's not so much the marketing as it's the, the product itself. It's like, so it's not just that the, like, the, it's the cigarettes that were really addictive <laughs> in that case. Joe Cool was getting the cigarettes into their mouths so that they would then become addicted. But so I guess it's a, it's a fine distinction. Yeah, yeah, because the product itself is all, in this case with social media, you're in a messy situation that the product is also the marketing. Right. That's true. That's true. That's true. And and it, the burden is on the parents to prove that there was harm in this case or on, you know, the ambulance chaser or lawyers or whatever. They'll bring these cases <laughs> right. to tort people. And I mean, the argument from a social media company would be like there are, you know, millions, billions of users of these products and they don't suffer the same harm. So the product itself is not inherently harm, harmful. It's, you know, obviously something specific to your kid or, or to you. Right. Mm. You have to, you have to prove that there was a. Uh, you know, that you were harmed in some way. And the fact is a lot of people use these products and, and aren't harmed right. at all. I would say in general to, to your previous point, Victor was, is that I, as a parent, I don't I, like, I even my 16 year old, not on any of the social media networks. The only social media that she has is a homeschool uh, forum that she's, she's part of with other kids. And even that we have to limit because otherwise she'd spend, you know, the to my two oldest would spend Hours yep. and hours a day in there because it's social. They want to be social. They have a teenagers have a natural social sociability to mm -hmm. them in general. Unless there's something wrong, but in but but naturally they have a sociability and they want to be, have those connections. And so, as a parent, you've got to really lock it down and limit it if you can. Because once you open once you open the door, the the horse is out of the barn. I'm using I've used that analogy twice or that metaphor twice. Tonight, but uh, in the, yeah. but once you've let them into social media, you can't you can't stop it. You can't bring it back. Yeah, I mean, to be a parent these days, you really do have to be as wise as a serpent, right? Uh, yeah, you know, and stay and stay in tune to what your kids are doing. You know, keep tabs on them. You know what they're doing online. You know, talk to them about what they're interested in. You may have to watch a few really horrible YouTube videos. Just to, you know, <laughs> just to build those bridges and find out what they're interested in. But, you know, as a parent, you can't abdicate your responsibilities to the trial lawyers. You right. Just, that's true. You just can't. Yeah. So our uh, last headline is a fun one. So the the makers of Parmigiano Reggiano cheese, the the, the undisputed king. king of cheeses. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. We're, we're all Mario. We're on the same page there. Uh, yeah. They have they're embedding tiny trackers in the cheese rinds to fight cheese fraud. I love this. So Parmigiano Reggiano is an expensive cheese. Like anybody who's bought some, and I have had to buy some, uh, knows it's it's pound for pound. It's one of the most expensive cheeses that that are out there. And uh, the problem is, is where there's an expensive product that someone could slap a label on and sell, you know, on something cheaper and sell it as the same thing, it'll happen. And so the fraud, the amount of fraud Parmigiano Reggiano out there is almost as big as the 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 real Parmigiano Reggiano. According to this article in Food and Wine magazine, uh authentic Parmigiano Reggiano sales are around two point four billion dollars, while fraudulent cheese is a two point oh eight billion dollar market. <laughs> so it's basically fifty fifty chance whether you're getting real Parmigiano Reggiano uh, at the supermarket, I guess. So the the makers of the the good stuff have uh, been using various techniques over the years to, uh, to authenticate their stuff, including a unique uh, code that was uh, uh, written into the rind and that sort of thing. But now they're testing a microtransponder that is food safe, 
and the size of a grain of rice uh, that is embedded into the rind. And it has a blockchain crypto anchor that creates a digital <laughs> twin that uh, they can that you can be tagged for physical items. And this new scannable f- food tag is it, oh, smaller than a grain of salt, never mind a grain of sand, and highly durable, it says. Um, I'm going to eat it. I, I just know I've, I probably have already eaten one. And just <laughs> That's my question is once I eat it, am I it's only a scannable tag. It's not like a GPS tracker tag or anything, right? Right. Well, it's a scannable tag. You're not going to eat it because you you don't you can't eat the rind. That's that oh, really contraire. Ah. See, <laughs> I don't the people I'm not going to eat cheese. the rind of a Arizona Reggiano. That thing is hard as a rock. Yeah, I know you you throw it in soups though, yes. and, and it thickens the soup and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it could. It's it is technically possible that the uh, the 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 tracker could come out in your soup and you could eat it, but that's why it's food safe in teeny I think tiny once you boil, I think once you're boiling it, it probably might destroy the um, integrity the of the chip. <laughs> yes, so they're not going to be tracking you or your digestion. Uh, but uh, I, I mean, it's it's clever. I mean, it is a clever uh, w- way yeah. that you know the high tech way of trying to get around. A, a very old problem, which is counterfeiting of these things. You know, the I saw a statistic that said like something like 80 percent of olive oil, extra virgin olive oil from Italy is fake, is not real extra virgin olive oil. It's just regular old olive oil that is the mafia is selling as extra virgin. I mean, it's like it, this is food fraud is a big problem. And I'm, I, I think I, I'm interested in seeing how these different these industries are getting around those problems it's still olive oil right it's still olive oil yeah. because then because um we could talk to jimmy aiken and see if we're starting to get into problems of validity of sacraments if it wasn't olive oil <laughs> well let's see there's uh i mean in some cases it might be other kinds of oil that they're coloring uh like other vegetable oils so mm, it, yeah. it may in fact be so that's well, actually something worth considering now there are Oh, that's a whole nother. That's discussion. scary. Can, well, we can have a long discussion about food fraud and, and olive can, oil. We can yeah. bring that up to Jimmy. Yeah, I am a Bettinelli, so you know <laughs> this is in my DNA. So, but, so yeah. this is an Italian cheese, and will will they do this with some of those kind of like stinky French cheeses as well? Like, and since they're putting chips in it, does that make those cheeses like a transbluminist? <laughs> Sorry, it's best I could <laughs> That was a long way for that joke. I know it's, it's all I got, uh, but it, I think in general, it, it, it will. This would only work for hard rind cheeses, I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it would work for the soft stuff. By the way, uh, I just note that the president of the Parmigiano Reggiano Consortium is Nicola Bert- Bertinelli, which is not the same as my oh. last name, but that's pretty darn close, and I'll claim that anyway. Let's see if you get a discount. I was going to say, Nicola, it's your cousin from America. Can I come and taste some cheese? <laughs> so that is, uh, those are our headlines this, this time. Yeah. So that brings us to our picks of the week then. Father Joseph, you are up first. What is your pick of the week? My pick of the week um, is for those in the Mac club. Um, two apps that are online apps um, that... Um, just disclaimer, do run better under a Chrome-based browser, so Google Chrome or Microsoft Edge. Um, one is Microsoft, or sorry, Mac OS, not Microsoft, Mac, o- Mac OS <laughs> 8.app. And so this is an emulator online that lets you run um, an old Mac OS 8 machine. 
um, oh, online. This takes me back. Um, and then the second one is like it, but it's going back if you um, would rather enjoy um, 55 megahertz or below. Um, you could go system7.app, um, and this yeah. lets you do the holding. Um, you could also do this on your own computer. Um, I do have a Mac OS 8 emulator set up <sighs> on my own computer. Um, oh, my gosh. But I'm you, looking at the software that's, that you can play. Mm-hmm, in the software that he has in it is just amazing. Um, so oh. there's hours of fun. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a moment here, folks. <laughs> disclaimer. Disclaimer. I did tell Dom to look at this beforehand, so this yes. reaction wouldn't happen on air, <laughs> I know, and he did I it. <laughs> I wanted to have an authentic reaction, though. That's the thing. <laughs> I mean, there is, like... Oh, like A10 Hornet, F18, uh, A10 Warthog, F18 Hornet. Yeah, yeah. Marathon 1 and 2, uh, yep. Civilization, Warcraft. And wow, you could play all the, I played all of these things yep. uh, back in the day on my old System 7, System and, 8 days. And then look at the corner, left corner of the monitor there. If you click the, that, it will put it full screen for you. The, the. The left corner, the little like the, color, the little Apple logo on the left corner, the lower left. Yep. Oh, nice. Now I can't see you, but uh, that's really awesome. Wow. And you said they have uh, emulators you can download too, right? Um, there's a piece of software, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. Let me go to my okay. desktop here. It's called. We'll have to do some live streams of a. Uh... Marathon, marathon sessions there. Oh that was Bungie's uh, first shooter, right? Yes. I'll send you for the show notes what the piece of software it is that I okay. use. It's what he's using on the back end. Um, but you would have to go and acquire all that software for yourself to do that. Right, right, right. I think I've got some zip disks with this stuff on it. <laughs> but uh, that that is so awesome. Yeah, the um, the original marathon. I played so many hours of that when I should have been studying for finals and yep, in Steubenville back in the mid nineties. Um, and yeah. if you have old software, also um, there's a little folder on the desktop of the app that allows you to drag stuff over into it and upload it to that computer. Oh, cool. And so oh, you the, could the outside hook, world, yeah. Yep, you could do the outside world and you could drag stuff in there and you even use some of your old games that you have and play it on there. Wow. This I mean just clicking on things and opening windows and seeing the control strip, that so takes me back. I mean, this makes me such an old nostalgic old guy, nostalgic man. But man, this is really awesome. Uh I miss I I kind of I mean, I love the new fancy and all that. But I kind of miss the old stuff, you know. It's just there's something about it. The, the nostalgia of it is big. It, it's like it's like me missing Windows three point one. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's a lot of fun. I mean, if it could only be better if it was Apple TGS, that's for sure. That's the only way it would be better. All right. Awesome. Great picks. So, uh, Victor, what do you got for us uh, tonight? Well, I don't know how I can follow that, but. Um... <laughs> Two two things I like to do is I like to make sounds uh, and music or just sounds even. And I like to connect things with wires. And so there's been a resurgence lately of uh, modular synthesizers where you buy a number of uh, various uh, modules to put in a rack and you can you know wire them together with uh, with cables and you can basically build your own instrument or things that just play soundscapes if you if you let them go. 
unfortunately, this is a very expensive hobby and takes up a lot of room, uh, things they don't have a lot of. But within your PC or Mac, there are various pieces of software that let you experiment with, you know, creating your own instruments or your own sounds using different, uh, you know, modules the way, you know, synthesizers used to be built, uh, you know, back in the 70s. And again, I said, uh, in a resurgence today. So one that I really like is a uh, voltage modular, which is by a company called cherry audio. And uh, for the month of June, the base program uh, is, is free for your PC or Mac. So you can try it out and see if you like it before you spend, you know, $25 on, on the full one. And uh, what they also do is they also have a very robust uh, third party kind of module store. So a number of, uh, you know, uh, individual developers have built their own, you know, different kind of oscillators to make different kinds of sounds or different effects like delay and reverb that you can build into your virtual rac uh, racks and stuff. So uh, and everything is connected with uh, virtual cables, uh, you know, connecting to, to different patch points and stuff. So if you've ever been uh, curious about, uh, you know, modular synthesizers or just like hooking wires up to things to see what they do. Uh, in a in a virtual environment where nothing is going to electrocute you, I can really recommend uh, uh, Voltage Modular by uh, by Cherry Audio. There, you know the composer for the uh, the Mandalorian soundtrack, Ludwig Göransson. I saw a, a documentary about how he made the uh, soundtracks, and he's got a room full of these modular synthesizers. Yeah. It's just <laughs> amazing. So pretty wild. Yeah, I don't have a room, and and one computer monitor uh, is just fine for me. <laughs> awesome. So I have a pick of the week, and this uh, is a pick of the week that I have been a user of, this software I've been a user of forever, like easily 15 years. And it's one of the first three things I install on a new Mac when I get it, and it's called Text Expander. And what it does is it, it you create, at its base, you create snippets of text, like a whole, like a paragraph of text. And every time you want to paste that somewhere, you type a little short uh, a phrase or a, a couple of characters. Uh, so, for example, if every time I want to paste my address, I type X A D D, and it will then mm. it will type out my address uh, right where the cursor is, where I've where I've just it deletes my little bit I typed and adds in. That's at its most basic, but it can do all kinds of things like create forms. So, for whenever I want to post a new episode of one of our shows on our website, I go into our, our website backend and there's, there's a whole lot of text that's the same every time. And then some things like change episode number, description of episode links, that sort of thing. And I, I type a little uh, for this one to be X T E C K S U B. Uh, I don't know why I picked sub, but for whatever reason, it's that's the standard I fell on. And then it pops up this little uh, pop-up a menu or dialogue and I type in it's got a space for me to put the uh, episode number and the description and stuff like that and I hit enter and it pastes it all in for me and it I do all kinds of things like that I can fill in forms I can hit tabs you know uh, any any place where you find yourself typing the same sorts of things over and over again you can automate I have even used it to to fix uh common typos whenever I type joseph I always type it j o s p e h it's just a thing my fingers do. And so now whenever I type J-O-S-P-E-H, it auto substitutes J-O-S-E-P-H. <laughs> so I can spell it right every time. I don't look like an idiot. Actually, I do the same thing with my name. I type dim all the time. And it's, <laughs> but there's no way to, I, cause like dim, like dim is a real word. So I can't just auto substitute it. 
Anyway, uh, it's just fantastic. I do it for phone numbers, like uh, the the work our work phone number, like the SQPN's phone number. I have that in there because I can never remember it off the top of my head. Who remembers phone numbers anymore? That sort of thing. It's it's fantastic. A text expander, and so it's it's got a subscription model. So uh, it's I, I'm on a legacy program for for people who've been long time users. But for one person, it's three dollars and thirty three cents a year. You could spend forty bucks a year. They're all constantly updating it. So that's good. They have business plans. And the great thing about a business plan is if your company, your organization, like your church, has standardized text, you know, you could have this for everyone. And you and if the if the standardized mm. text needs to be text needs to be updated, you just update it in one place. And now everybody's using the, the new text, that sort of thing. So it's a it's a fantastic program. And like I said, it's one of the first three things I install on any computer the other two being one password in Dropbox. Uh, that's those are the the first two things. Um, just dug into this education and nonprofit organization Dix, discounts. Texas Expander offers educational pricing for individual students and teachers of thirty percent off for four years of use. Awesome, that's fantastic. So the individuals get four years. I'm going to guess it's like if schools got it, they would be indefinite. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and then there's a. Um, we also offer the same discount for nonprofits that fall under 501c3. Oh, I should be getting that. Yes, you <laughs> thanks, should. Thanks for pointing that out. Uh, although my legacy uh, thing is pretty darn cheap, so it might even be cheaper than that. Um, I, I, it, when they went from uh, old the old upgrade model to a subscription model, mm-hmm. legacy users got a really good plan to, to, to kind of reward us for our long uh, long-term loyalty. Uh, so, uh, but I'll, I'll look into that. But, uh, but if you have a, if you have a church or a school, like a, a, a parish school, you fall under both of those. So definitely check it out. It's a fantastic program and it's, it's available not just for, uh, Mac. It's also available on windows and, uh, there's an iOS, there's iOS and Android uh, apps for it. Oh. iOS is a little trickier to use. You have, there's a special keyboard for when you're doing the expansions, but it's also integrated into a bunch of common and popular apps. Uh, as well so uh check it out so uh that should do it for us this time we would love to get your feedback on anything we've talked about including your your questions about uh, building a pc from parts we would love to to follow up with uh, some answers to your questions you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. You can send an email to technology at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. I just want to take a second to say how wonderful that community has been. In fact, we've had a few folks in our technology channel there, the Secrets of Tech channel there, who've provided some wonderful feedback, but also ideas and help for the show we've actually one of those listeners is going to be a future guest on the show we're going to be talking about some really cool stuff about farm technology farming technology that's used in farming and agriculture uh but that's going to happen way down the road in the winter when he's not busy farming but uh this is a, a, a i just love this idea and i love the fact that it came from our new discord community so join us over there and join the conversation it's so great you can find links from our discussion and picks of the week on our show notes on sqpn.com We'd like to thank James for his research assistance in this episode. Until next time, Victor Lambs, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Tom. And Father Joseph Sun, thank you as well. Always put RGB lights in your computers. 
<laughs> okay. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>